Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Give you guys a minute, get there, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to go over something before I, I truly get started, but I want to make sure everyone's in here so that I can kind of go over it with you. But we're in the armor of God part 4. We've been talking about uh, the armor of God. I'm going to read this passage to you. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But let's just stop right there. Say all the strategies. This is the most amazing thing is that God never intended his people to be ruled by the devil or to be ruled by man that has the spirit of the devil in them. To never be dominated and ruled by that spirit, God actually gave us things in his word to live immune from the hand of the enemy completely. I know that's just foreign to most Christians, but that's the biblical reality, that God is giving us these things in which we can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And as you're going to continue to read, this doesn't mean modern-day Christianity doesn't teach you how to stand firm. It teaches you how to get beat up. It teaches you how to get spit out. It teaches you how to get beat down by the devil and that God's just your comfort and he's your blanket and that hallelujah, even though we're getting a train ran over us, how many of you know he's still God and, 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 and praise his holy name? Yes, we should praise his holy name no matter what our circumstance is, but that, that's not the reality. That's not the biblical reality. He said, do these things and you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. That means the devil won't be able to do one thing that can penetrate or affect your life in any way whatsoever. And once you begin to biblically recognize the hand of the devil, that expands this reality so much more because clearly the Bible teaches sickness and disease is, is a product of the hand of the devil. Jesus taught that, addressed that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so many times. I've said it every time that I've taught this because whenever Jesus would uh, uh, heal somebody, he would deal with the spirit. There was, a, there was a blind man. He would cast the spirit out, and the man could see. Deaf man, cast the spirit out, and the man could hear. A lady crippled over for 18 years, cast the spirit out. She could stand up straight and walk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If y'all will, outside, please, with the phone calls. For we're not fighting against flesh or blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist. Say resist. So what causes you to resist? Say the armor. The armor of God is how we resist the enemy. Now, this is important because look at this passage here, James 4, 7. Therefore, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you. He won't 
infiltrate your life. He won't get his hand in your life and get to do what he wants. If you resist him, he'll flee from you. And then the Bible says, put on the armor of God so that you will be able to resist. Say resist. So you resist by the armor of God, these different pieces. It says, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. So we're breaking down the armor into different pieces. I want you to write it down. If you haven't been here, we went over truth. Say truth. He gave us these different pieces. If you'll stand in these different things, you will be able to resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Say truth. Say righteousness. Say peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now I want to give you a few things here. Uh, number one, the Bible clearly teaches we have victory over the enemy. You need to get that in your spirit. If you go to this church, you understand that. The Bible teaches we have complete victory over the enemy. Colossians chapter 2, 14 through 15, it says, He canceled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory. Say victory. He disarmed. So when Jesus went to the cross, he disarmed the enemy. Hallelujah. If you're a believer, you're not fighting with the enemy. You're not fighting for victory. You're not trying to get the victory. You have the victory. Amen. So, Brother James, if you will, step in the sanctuary and ask whatever commotion's going on to please step outside. Thank you. Now, number two, write this down. God gave us tools that would allow us to live immune from the hand of demonic power. I want you to say every time. Say every time. Say every time. You will hold up the shield of faith with which you'll quench every fiery dart of the enemy. You'll stand your ground, and after the day of evil, you'll still be standing firm. Say every time. So here's the question, and I'm going to get to point number three, and we're going to move on this morning. I'm just giving you a quick recap here. If this is the reality, if we have complete victory over the enemy, then how does that make sense that the Bible says that we do not wage war, we are not fighting against flesh or blood, but against evil rulers, principalities, and powers? If we have the victory, where's the battle? What you say, my mind? I read a book when I was in Bible college called Winning the Battle of the Mind. Say the mind. You know, look at this. It says here in verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. That word strategies, it actually is a word that means the wiles, W-I-L-E-S. The word wiles means this. The cunning arts, the deceits, the craft, the trickery. Say trickery. So what am I trying to get here? 
We have complete victory over the devil, but yet we're fighting a battle. We're not fighting a battle to gain victory over him. We're actually just fighting a battle of the mind and forcing the victory that Jesus already purchased for us. The devil, he has no right to do anything in our lives. All he can do is try to put illegal action on us, and if we tolerate it, it sticks, but if we stand against it, it cannot stay in our life. Are you all with me? And get this point down, and we'll move on this morning. Number three, you need to realize this. The word is never the problem. That will change a believer's life. If they'll get a hold of that, that reality right there, the word is never, a pro- is never the problem. Brother John, what do I do whenever I get sick? Well, I'm going to tell you. Why, you may say, why am I sick? I don't know, but it's not because the word isn't true. Brother, what do, Brother John, what do I do? Why am I not prospering? What's going on? I don't know, but I know one thing. The word's not the problem. God is not a liar. His word means exactly what he said. Hallelujah. When God said, I'll make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you'll lend to many, you'll never need to borrow from anyone, from anyone, that you'll be blessed in the field, that your children will be blessed, that your herds and flocks will be blessed, that I'll multiply you, that you'll, that you'll sow and reap a hundred times the seed that you sow. He was not a liar in any of that. So here's the thing. Whenever we're not experiencing that, we have to come to the reality, the word is not the problem in my situation. Look at the mirror. I know this is hard, and Christians get so offended by this, but have we ever thought, what is the problem? Walk in the bathroom and take a good long look at the mirror, and I'm telling you, 99% of the time, we'll see the problem staring us back in the eyes, staring us face to face. Are you all with me? And in fact, this is the thing that makes people so mad, but every single time, Jesus was not able to do miracles. It was because of unbelief. In fact, the disciples couldn't cast out a demon at one point. And they came to him afterwards and said, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast out that demon? And he said, because simply, NLT says, you don't have enough faith. Say faith. Y'all, and I'm telling you, we, can, we have a decision that we can make whenever we're faced with that. You're saying, well, Brother John, you mean I don't have breakthrough because I don't have enough faith? You can either be a victim to that And run around and get your feelings hurt. Oh, that pastor said that I just don't have enough faith. There's no way possible that I'm the problem in my situation. And man, I have so much faith. I'm telling you, I'm an apostle of faith. I've read this Bible through 50 million times that I have every ounce of faith that God has to give. You know, people think like that. No, I'm not the problem, so obviously the doctrine must be the problem. No, you need to get this. The word is never the problem. You need to get this in your spirit too. Smith Wigglesworth said, if God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Say, God said it. Say, I believe it. Say, that settles it. If we would just simply do that with the Bible, we would solve so many problems. I'm telling y'all, listen, I, I love what God's allowed me to do, but sometimes I'm like the worst counselor when it comes to people because people come and, and they want you to say one thing, but you don't. You just simply say what the word says, and then they come back. Well, I don't really like that. Well, I'm sorry. There's times in my life that I didn't really like it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth, and that is the answer, and that's the solution. Come on, somebody. So with the armor of God, he said, do these things and you'll stand against all the wiles of the devil. So here's the reality. If 
Write this down. The only way that the enemy can infiltrate our life is if there is a crack in the armor. The only way the enemy can infiltrate our life is if there is a crack in the armor. So when things start going wrong, we need to look at this and say, Lord, am I compromised in any of these areas? I told you this story, and I'll tell you quickly so that we can move on. But this was a simple small kind of problem that I faced that the Lord began to deal with me and, and have me really dig into this. Several weeks ago, my daughter Oakland, she got a fever out of nowhere. She had 104. It just hit her. I mean, it was like she was fine. She was eating, playing, happy, normal baby. And all of a sudden, this fever hit her. It was 104. And, and I started praying, and I started believing, and, and uh, we saw the fever go away. Two days later, the fever came back, and I got mad. And I began to look, and I said, Lord, I believe your word is true, so what's the problem here? Right? The Bible says in Psalms 91, no plague will come near your dwelling. Do you believe that or do you not believe that? Say, yes, I believe that. Do we experience that? Sometimes we don't, and then that's where we have to start being kind of smart and using our head and saying, well, the word of God is true. If I'm not experiencing this, then what is the problem? Because I know the word's not the problem, right? If there's a plague coming nigh my dwelling, then that means there must be an issue, and by the power of the Spirit and the word of God, I'm going to identify where the crack is, where the enemy is getting a hand to infiltrate my life. Amen. And so the Lord told me, he said, I want you to go through the armor of God. He laid it out very clear. He said, if you do these things, I promise that you would hold, there would be a shield around you and not one fiery dart would be able to penetrate you. So therefore, if the fiery dart's penetrating you, there must be a problem somewhere. I begin to go through this list. Number one, was my truth messed up? Was there a compromise in my truth? I'm not going to preach on truth this morning. I did that several weeks in a row. Number two, is my righteousness messed up? Number three, the third part of the armor, say peace. But it really, I'm going to break that down to mean something else this morning. Your peace, your assignment. Is your assignment messed up? Is your faith messed up? The shield of faith, is your faith compromised? Finally, is your, is your salvation, your helmet, is your salvation compromised? And then the offensive tool, are we taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and putting it to work? Man, if I'm not careful, I'll get to preaching on that. Because that's really most Christians' problems. They never take this word and get it in their mouth and begin to yield it as a weapon against the enemy. Brother John, I don't like my situation. How many times have you got the word of God and begin to speak to your situation and command it to change in the name of Jesus? Isn't that what he said to do in Mark eleven twenty four? You can speak to the mountain. So, see, a lot of people spend so much time speaking to God, but he didn't say, you can pray to me and I'll move the mountain. He said, you speak to the mountain and command it to move. And if you believe the things which you say and do not doubt, you'll have what you say. The mountain will move. Come on, somebody. So we have to get a hold of the word of God and get it in our mouths and begin to put it to work in our lives. When you see the hand of the enemy, when it comes to your sickness, I'm telling you guys, listen to me. Don't come to me complaining that you're having constant symptoms if you're not day in and day out speaking the word of God over your life. Because all you're wanting is sympathy. You need to wake up and say, by his stripes I am healed. 
The Lord has took my sicknesses and removed my diseases. Hallelujah. Y'all don't shout me down this morning. So I began to go through this list. I went through the list. Was my truth messed up? No. Was my righteousness messed up? No. Was my assignment messed up? No. My shield of faith, was my faith messed up? No. Was my salvation messed up? No. The Lord said, now take the sword of the Spirit and go to work. My wife began to pray in the Holy Ghost. I began to walk back and forth in the room, quote the Word of God. Every healing passage of Scripture that was in my spirit, I just began to pop it out and use it like a sword. Oakland went to sleep. She woke up a few hours later. The fever was gone, never returned again. Amen. Hey, y'all, I'm telling you, the Word of God is so simple. We, we overcomplicate it. We think that there's no way that it's that easy, but it is that easy. Come on. So this morning, let's get to this piece of the armor. We've talked about truth. We've talked about righteousness. How many of you guys enjoyed that the last couple of weeks? Praise God. I know, right? Go to a church that actually teaches you that we cannot, we, we, we cannot live in sin and, and just claim God's grace over a sinful lifestyle. We, th- there's a standard of righteousness. Amen. So let's go into this part today. Say peace. So this is a part of the armor of God, Ephesians 6.15. For shoes, it says, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. For shoes, say shoes. Put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. What is this shoes? I'm actually going to read it in the Amplified too. It says, having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace. Say the gospel. Having strapped your feet with the gospel of peace. I want you to write this down. Write this down this morning. Number one, what does this mean? Number one, peace in the fact that I know where I'm going at the end of this. Amen. What is this armor of God, this peace that comes from the gospel? Say peace. How is this protection? Number one, peace in the fact that I know where I'm going at the end of this. This will change your life. We as Christians should not fear death. Come on, somebody. Say amen. I want you to lift your hands right now. Just say this. Say, Holy Ghost, restore order back to this service. Say, I commit my mind to the word. Say, every distraction, leave in Jesus' name. I tune my ear to the Spirit. I receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Come on, are y'all ready for the word of God this morning? Hallelujah. So for, for peace, I want to break this down. What does this mean, this part of the armor? Number one, it's peace. It says, put on peace that comes from the good news. There's a peace. The Bible also calls this the hope of the resurrection. You know where you're going one day. Guys, I'm going to tell you, there's something radical, there's something powerful about a man or a woman that's not afraid of death. I don't know where this crept in, this fear of death. You've even heard it over the last couple of years. Brother John, you need to shut the church down because people may get sick and people may die. When was Christianity catered so that people don't die? 
I mean, honestly, and you may say that seems radical, but where in the Bible was the number one goal of the church is to just make sure that people are safe and comfortable and that their lives are not taken off of this earth? I'm going to tell you, if that's your thought of the Bible and Christianity, you're mistaken because it's not. All throughout the Scripture, people face death. All throughout, people, all throughout the Scripture, people faced death where they were being forced to compromise the truth, and if they didn't, they faced the threat of death. Hallelujah. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will not bow because our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. Where's that spirit in Christians today? Well, Brother John, I just can't go to church for three years because of COVID. Listen, number one, there's promises against that in the Word of God. There's promises of protection in the word of God that though a thousand fall at our side and 10,000 die around us, these evils will not touch us. I want to tell you all throughout COVID, we never stopped laying hands on people. We never put masks and face shields on. We never socially distanced. In fact, we had meeting after meeting after meeting where we were laying hands on the sick. Come on, somebody. Did, we didn't get sick. We didn't die. Come on. So there's just this understanding, this peace, that even if I do die, I know where I'm going. Y'all, I've never met, and I just can't comprehend this. We live in a time and a generation where Christians are trying to do everything they can to not go to heaven. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is I'm not telling you just go blow your brains out and die. I'm not trying to be graphic, but what I am saying is it's just like we're trying to do everything we possibly can to preserve life on this earth, and that's not Christianity. Are you all with me? We as Christians should not fear death. That's why we have the hope of the resurrection because even, I'm going to tell you this, every single person that's here one day, unless you're here when the trumpet blows, we're all going to, go to sleep. The Bible doesn't even use the term die. The Bible actually uses the term in the New Testament, those that have fallen asleep. Because you don't die, you fall asleep. I just read a quote from Billy Graham that when he was alive, he said, one day, if you hear that Billy Graham has died, he said, don't shed a tear and don't believe a single word of it. Because he said, Billy Graham is not dead. He's more alive than he's ever been before. Y'all, that's the hope of the resurrection. That's the, that's the peace that comes from the gospel. That you can't kill me because he's given me eternal life. And for whatever reason, we become compromised in our life. Our, 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 our flesh is, is snatched off of this earth. Our flesh is put to sleep. I'm going to tell you something. You're an eternal being. Did you know this? That every single person in here is an eternal being. You will spend eternity. You will never die. You'll either spend eternity in heaven or you'll spend eternity in hell. That every single person, righteous and unrighteous, will be resurrected in the last day. That those that are godly, that have the hope of the resurrection, the Bible says there will be a trumpet blast, and those that have fallen asleep, died in Christ, will be raised from the grave, and in a moment we will receive a glorified, transformed body. And then we'll be caught up to meet Christ in the air. That's peace that comes from the gospel. Lord, my life is not my own. I don't make decisions just to preserve my life, especially if it's in conflict with what God has called me to do. 
Y'all, I'm just going to keep preaching this because this needs to get inside of people in 2022 and 2023. I don't make decisions just to preserve my life. I give my life as an offering to the Lord, even to the point of death. Didn't Jesus say that in Luke 14? One of the costs of being a disciple, you must forsake your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, even your own life. He said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot become my disciple. Say the cross. When Jesus was saying the cross, it wasn't just metaphorical, right? I like to watch Netflix, and i got to lay that down. That's bearing my cross. No, he literally was saying to the point of death. The way that I'm about to go to the cross and give my life, you must forsake yourself to that point. Come on, somebody. You know, Christians aren't ready to die for Jesus. And how do you know that we're not ready to die for Jesus? Because we don't live for him. If you don't live for him, you're not going to die for him. Are y'all with me? So, look at this. He says, for shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Say peace. So, Write this down. So obviously there's this piece that we just talked about, this fact that I know where I'm going at the end of this. Regardless of what happens, you can't kill me, you can't scare me, you can't intimidate me because I know where I'm going when this is all said and done. That's a dangerous person. Number two, this is talking about a divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. Write this down. Number two, divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. I want you to write an assignment. Say assignment. Part of the armor of God is your assignment. Say assignment. Lord, help me get this in on this morning. <laughs> there is a divine protection. This is what I believe Paul was saying. There is a divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. There's a protection from death for a person that's on assignment. Have you ever heard that? I'm about to prove to you and show you from the scripture, but the devil cannot kill a person that's on assignment. Y'all listen to me. Sickness and disease cannot kill a person that's on assignment. A wicked and evil government cannot kill a person that's on assignment. I don't care if you're in the most radical part of the world. Do Christians die? Yes, they do. But I'm also going to tell you this. This is why it's important for you to understand this because there are people that die that don't have to die. Did you know that? You know that Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that because they failed to discern the body which was purchased for our healing, Jesus gave his body for our healing, some were weak, some were sick, and some had even died. What was he saying there? There were Christians that had died that didn't have to die. I want you to say this. Say, I don't have to die. Say it again. Say, I don't have to die. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'm going to prove this, this divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. So it says, for shoes, say shoes. Let me ask you this question. What are shoes for? Shoes are for going. Shoes are for going. Shoes are for walking. Romans 10, 14 through 15, it says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will they go unless they're being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet. Say the feet. That's what it talks about, being equipped with the the shoes, the gospel, the peace that comes from the gospel. Your shoes are equipped. It's a person that goes forth to preach the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Look at Mark 16, 15 through 18. Therefore he told them, go, say go. Listen to what I'm about to say. This is a divine promise for those that go. Those that equipped their feet with the gospel, they become a soul winner. They become a man or a woman that's on assignment from God. They're not sitting back. They're going and heeding to the voice of the Lord. He said, go, say go. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. The shoes that go with the gospel into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. Look at verse 18. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and drink anything poisonous, and it won't hurt them. The person that goes will be able to drink anything poisonous, even handle snakes, and it will not hurt them. What is Jesus saying here? There is a blood-covering protection over your life when you're a man or a woman that's on assignment. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. This is part, I was, I was studying into this, part of the mandate to go, say go, is a promise of protection against danger, traps, assignments against them. In fact, when you really study this out, there was bandits throughout the hills of Judea and Samaria and all throughout the Middle East. There was bandits that would, if they caught you walking on the road, they would mug you, they'd strip you down, they'd kill you. And so when Jesus was sending them, go and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus was essentially saying is, I'll divinely protect you against those bandits that want to kill you. Anybody that has intention to lay a hand on you, I'll divinely protect you and I'll deliver you. There will be a covering over your life. Look at Psalms 91. It says, this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He's my God and I trust him. He will rescue you from every trap. Say every trap. He will protect you from deadly disease. Hallelujah. Every trap. Say every trap. Every trap. He'll protect you from deadly disease. But look at the contingency of this. Look at verse 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. In order for this to be true, you have to live in the shelter of the Lord. In order for this to be true, we have to come underneath him by faith. Say faith. Come under his hand. Say by faith. Come underneath his wing. Hallelujah. Look down at verse 13 here. 
It says, if you make the Lord your refuge and if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. How much evil? Say no evil. No plague will come near your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They'll hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You'll trample upon lions and cobras, and you'll crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Tie that together with Luke 10, 19. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and look, I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Y'all, I'm telling you, there's got to be a different breed of Christian that grabs a hold of this in these last days. Well, you're not being dominated by the devil. You are trampling on cobras and scorpions. You know, that's actually a sign. Whenever it's talking about, that's why people totally miss this. They think we should go get the tubs and put some deadly scorpions and snakes in these tubs and start walking around with them. No, this is actually talking about evil spirits. When it's talking about fierce lions, what does the Bible say? The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. When the Bible's talking about these scorpions and these serpents, what was Satan in the garden? He came as a serpent. It's a depiction of evil spirits. So what is Jesus saying? You'll trample upon evil spirits. You'll stomp the devil's head all the days of your life. Come on, somebody. Give you an example of this. There's a divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. You want to make sure you live a long life on this earth? I'm telling you, this is a key for someone. Win souls. If you win souls, you will become, what's the word, unexpendable? Is that the right word? Nobody knows? Is that the right word? Expendable means that you can be replaced, right? So if you're unexpendable, that means you can't be replaced. Is that the right word? Sorry if that's unformal. I just, if it's not, I just made it up. Hallelujah. But basically, you will become an asset that God can't afford to lose off of this earth. Y'all believe that? Look at Paul as an example here. Acts 28, 3 through 6, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was lying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. Man, we could preach a whole nother message, but I'm going to tell you, when the fire starts getting hot, it drives the snakes out. Come on, somebody. You know, the Lord actually told me, some of y'all think, John, you say some abrasive things, and some of the things that I say sometimes, I don't even want to say, but the Lord tells me to say. And you say, well, why is that? Why do you preach like that sometimes? Why do you preach so abrasively? And the Lord told me, he said, preach this way. Two things will happen. It will drive the wrong spirit out, and it will bring the right spirit in. Because there will be people, when the fire starts burning, it will drive the snake out from underneath the pile. 
I'm going to tell you, we've seen that happen in this church, that when we started pushing forth for revival, we started having extended meetings, we start flowing in the Holy Ghost. Somebody that's got the wrong spirit, man, I just want to get out of here. It's 12 o'clock, and I don't know why we're just sitting here with our hands raised. That It's intended to do that. You think that it bothers us that we're worried like, oh, no, let's walk around on eggshells and not offend this person. No, I'm like, let's turn it up, and let's either you're going to get on fire or you're going to get lost. Come on, somebody. Because God's not playing games. God's not trying to keep people comfortable to the point where they go to hell. Let's turn up the fire, and the snakes will be driven out. People that don't want it, they'll either catch on fire, or they'll go find somewhere else that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Come on, somebody. There'll be other people. Our sister from Nacogdoches, she came up to me and that's been coming around, and she said, man, I've, I, I've just, I don't see ministries, I don't see preachers taking a stand for truth. And she came, and she was hungry for the Lord. I'm telling you, that type of the fire will drive the serpents out. It'll, it'll send the wrong spirit out, and it'll bring the right spirit in. Are you all with me? Hallelujah. <laughs> That might answer some questions. Brother John, why do you just sit there like in the joy and you let that kind of stuff flow? Because sometimes I think there's something that needs to be driven out. The fire of God refines us. The Bible talks about the refining, the, the refining fire, that we're being tested, we're the impurities. You know what the fire of God does is it brings the flesh out. If you can't get in the anointing and you just start almost nipping at your own shoulder, you know, oh, I hate this. I'm telling you, that's a devil. That is the flesh that the fire of God's bringing to the surface, and you'll have a decision. Either I can kill it and cut its head off, or I can give into it and live by the dictates of my flesh. But I'll tell you, if you live by the dictates of your flesh, it says that you will reap corruption and that you will die because the wages of sin is death. Y'all with me? So Paul... He lights a fire, and it says the heat drove out a poisonous snake, and it bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt, though he escaped through the sea, justice will not prevent him to live. Permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up. And suddenly dropped dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided that he was a god. Well, Paul clearly told him, I'm not a god. And then he went on to heal everyone that was sick on the entire island. Hallelujah. And they all got saved because he gave an account of Jesus Christ. But I want you to get this point. There is a divine protection for those that carry forth the gospel. Now, I want to look at Paul's reaction when the snake bit him on the hand. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more powerful than a man or woman that's on an assignment from God. Because when you get a word from God and you get sent from God, if God sends you, no devil can send you back. You know, there's so many people that they end up failing when it comes to their calling and they start failing when it comes to their purpose because they never went from a word from God. They just went in their flesh. 
They just had a good idea and thought, well, I'll just carry out this good idea. You've got to get a word from God because that word from God will carry you through every season of your life. That word from God will carry you in the big, where it says don't forsake, don't disgrace, small beginnings. When you're in a season where you're like, Lord, I'm doing all this stuff, but how come I don't see this and I don't see that? It keeps driving you forward because you're not running in the flesh. You're running from a word that the Lord gave you, an assignment from God. I'm going to tell you, God already told Paul. Listen how this, this went right here. In Acts 27, 24, an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul on a ship before he was shipwrecked, and he said, you will stand before Caesar. Okay, so when, island, when Paul gets on the island and a snake jumps up and bites him on the hand, he didn't even have to pray about it. You know why? Because he hadn't stood before Caesar yet. He didn't have to jump and shout and pray in tongues. He just simply shook the snake off because he said, God's already given me a word, and that word hasn't been fulfilled. And because that word hasn't been fulfilled, this snake bite ain't even going to kill me. And I know this snake bite even going to kill me, so I don't even need to pray about it. He just shook it off into the flame and went on about his business because there is a protection for those that are walking on assignment. Hallelujah. Y'all, I'm telling you, one of the most powerful things you could do is get an assignment from the Lord. You get a word from God about where he's taking your business. What do you do when you're threatened with financial pressure? You shake it off into the fire and you laugh in the face of the devil and you say, that word hasn't come to pass, so that means this is not my end. Hallelujah. This may be where I'm at today, but this is not where I'm staying because the Lord has given me a vision and an assignment, and that has not come to pass yet, so that means that I'm not done. There is something supernatural. This is why it's a part of the armor of God. Hallelujah. There is a covering for a person that is on an assignment. I'm going to tell you something, too. The most safe place you can ever be is the exact place where God called you. And I'm going to get into this in just a moment. Just if you're looking at your clock and you're waiting for the clock to strike 12 and me saying, God bless you, I'm going to preach a little bit more today because I want to get through this. Amen. Is that okay? But the safest place you can be is exactly where God called you to be. Because there is an anointing to be where God called you. Anywhere else, other, I'm going to look at the example of Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. And guess what? When God tells you to go somewhere, everywhere else won't work. Can I say amen? If God has given you a word, you can do everything else to try to get outside of that word. But you'll never be blessed outside of that word. You'll never be protected in your health, in your house. You'll never walk in divine health outside of that word. You'll never see restoration and freedom and prosperity outside of that word. The best place to be is exactly where God called you to be. Are y'all with me? That's why I'm telling you, you know, there's Christians that they can't settle down in one place. They're here, they're there, they're everywhere, they're up, they're down, they're sideways. You need to get where God's called you to be. And then, you know, we're also looking for our flavor. 
You're just popping around in churches trying to find which, which is your flavor. You know, this church is chocolate. This church is vanilla. This church is strawberry. This one's got a little swirl going on, and I'm just going to find what flavor I like and what, what accommodates me. No, how about you get with the Holy Ghost. You get where God has called you to be, and I'm going to tell you, you forfeit everything else to get where God's called you to be. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must forsake everything else, that I will lose everything. I'll drop everything. I'll sell my house. I'll move across the country, amen, from New Mexico. I'll do whatever I have to do to get where the Lord has called me to be because where he's called you to be, that's where the anointing of the Holy Ghost is. I'm going to get into this, but your provision is where God's called you to be. He's already provided for you, and he's leading you to the place of provision. 1 Kings 17, God brought Elijah beside the brook Kareth, and the brook dried up. So what did the Lord say? There is a widow in the town of Zarephath, 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 however you pronounce it. Go, go to her. The Lord led him to the place of provision. I want to tell you, if Elijah would have went and turned around and went to Jericho, he would have died. He would have starved to death. Because you don't get to pick and choose. We have to listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost. Say, I'll go where he calls me to go. Say, I'll do what he calls me to do. Hallelujah. There is a covering for a person that is on assignment. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. They tried to kill Jesus many times before it it was his time on the cross. He actually went to a festival and he began to preach and they went to arrest him. And it says that they couldn't even lay a hand on him yet because his time had not yet come. Say a covering. Jesus' assignment was not done, so he could not be killed. Paul's assignment was not fulfilled, so he could not be killed. Let's look over here. And speaking of Jesus, 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we know we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. I say, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. So that means if they couldn't kill Jesus, they can't kill you if you're on assignment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've had little things. I've had symptoms in my body. And I want to tell you, when you start getting symptoms in your body, don't go to Google. <laughs> worst, worst thing you could ever do is go, I mean, it's like you, got, you go mow the grass and you get an allergy and you sneeze and you go to Google. Oh, my gosh, I have a brain aneurysm. You know, it's just like the worst thing. Don't do that. But that, there's things that the Lord has shown me and shown her when we were in our 40s, when we were in our 50s in, in ministry and visions that he gave us early on. And I'm telling you just the simple application of this, those times where I had a symptom, those times where I had an attack, those times where I, I, the enemy was trying to put something on me, ultimately something that always just had, brought me back to the place of laughing in the face of the devil. As I look back 
and say, Lord, you showed me that vision when I was 19 of me being 40, me being 50 years old, and this was exactly what I was doing. Am I 40? Am I 50? Am I there yet? No, so I know this isn't going to kill me. Amen. I know that this is just a lie from the enemy. Push on, push through, keep walking in faith, and that thing just sheds off. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me? Look at this. This is powerful. Matthew 26, 52 through 54. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Grab a hold of that. Jesus told his disciples, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels. This is when they were coming to arrest him. And he said he would send them instantly and they would protect us where these guys wouldn't even be able to touch us. Say angels. Now look at Hebrews 1.14 and connect the dots. Therefore, the New Testament says about you and me, angels are only servant spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Anybody in here going to inherit salvation? Then that means the Bible says there's angels assigned to you. There's angels assigned to me. And I want to tell you something. The scripture predicted Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus had to die. He had to die so that me and you could live. He had to become poor, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, so that me and you could become rich. He had to take those stripes so that me and you could be healed. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus died so that we could live. Say live. So that's why Jesus forfeited that right that he had. He could have called down angels and he, they would have been protected him. But he didn't. But guess what? Me and you have that right. Say I have that right. Say angels. If you're going to inherit salvation, then that means that you have angels. What do these angels do? They do many things, but one thing clear according to the scripture is they will protect you on assignment. Hallelujah. You can be driving down the car and get a check in your spirit, and you can do what Jesus said he could do. Father, right now I ask you to send forth ministering spirits, angels, to protect me so that we will not be harmed in any way whatsoever. And then whatever the enemy has assigned against you, they'll supernaturally begin to move it out of the way. Come on, somebody. That's powerful. Look at Peter. Acts 2, 6 through 11, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound in two chains between two soldiers. The guards before the door were keeping the prison, uh, were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by this angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to an iron gate that lead, led to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And they went out. 
and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to him himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Hallelujah. Say, delivered me. Peter was in prison to be executed the next day. What happened? An angel of the Lord came and set him free, opened up the prison door, broke off the chains, led him straight out of the cell. Why did that happen? Because there is a protection, a a covering for those that are on assignment. Peter's assignment was not up, so he could not die. Are you all with me? So here's my whole point. Let's talk about the strategy of the enemy for a moment here. We already talked about the other pieces of the armor, that how the devil can infiltrate your life is there has to be a break in one of these areas. There has to be a break in your truth. So what will he do? He'll try to attack your truth. Remember us talking about that? Whenever you're experiencing something, the devil will come and try to test you. Well, is that like we did with Adam and Eve, right? Is that what the Lord really said? Did the Lord really say, do not eat from that tree? Did the Lord really say in the scripture that you were healed by his stripes? Did the Lord really say those things to you? Does the Bible really say that he'll get to he'll try to attack your truth? Then he'll try to attack your righteousness with with with, with sin. Thirdly, what will the enemy do? He'll try to get you out of assignment. Some of you guys need to recognize that. Well, Brother John, I really wanted to go to this event. I really wanted to do this, and I wanted to do that, but I had a a flat tire, and an extra expense came up, and so now I can't go. What just happened? The enemy just took you out of assignment. Well, Brother John, you know, I was really wanting to do this, but then some situation blew up in my family, and somebody got a head cold, and the Lord had told me to go to revival, but my my kids, they didn't want to go. You know, they don't think that kind of stuff's fun. They wanted to stay home and play Xbox, so we didn't go. What just happened? The enemy just took you out of assignment. The Lord told you to do something, and you didn't do it. You let circumstance pull you out of what the Lord called you to do, and now what's, what's happened? You forfeited a piece of the armor. In fact, this is funny, but say the shoes that the guard your shin, that guard your, your, your shoes, your assignment is your Achilles heel. If the enemy can get your assignment, he can completely destroy you. Look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says this, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but like those that are wise. Making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool. How does a fool live? Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. You know how a fool lives? They walk around never knowing what God's called them to do. That's foolish. Say, that's foolish. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do, and then make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
What is that scripture saying? You need to get a word from God and understand this is what God has called me to do and then take advantage of every opportunity to do it. Are y'all with me? Y'all, I'm telling you that this is most Christians' problems. They're not on assignment. They just live like animals. They eat, they sleep, they poop, they wake up, they survive. That's it. That's their entire existence. You have to run with a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Oops. This is so when I pray for you guys, you don't fall you fall out because of the spirit, not because my breath's knocking you out. I had the spray, but they said that was too cheesy. You're like, all right, ready? In the name of Jesus. These are like the strips. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to give you three quick keys to understanding your calling. Maybe I should just slow down, Lord. If there's anybody in here that's just like, I'm just not in this today, let's just saturate in the anointing for a little bit. (laughs) Amen. Three keys to unlock your calling. I'm going to give you three keys. You need to hear this. Number one. In regards to your calling, write this down, number one. Your calling, it has to come from God and not from man. Go ahead and put it on the board when I say it because it helps me to be able to read it too. It has to come from God and not from man. It has to come from God and not from man. Listen to me. Your calling, it has to come from God and not from man. Galatians 1.1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle who was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So who, who gave Apostle Paul his mandate? Say Jesus did. God did. And so ultimately, I want to say this, in a healthy biblical leadership situation, Although man cannot call you, there should be people that can agree with the calling that God has given you. Because Peter never called Paul, but whenever Peter met Paul, he said that he, he saw the work that the Lord had given him and that he encouraged him in doing so. But so here's my point. Don't be one of those weirdos because there are weirdos that do that. There's weirdos that I'm telling you, they spend their whole life running around, I'm apostle so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so, and they spent their whole life doing this, and God's never given them anything to show for it. You think if you were called to the ministry by the time you were 50, that God would have opened up a door for you to actually be in the ministry. Come on, somebody. So don't be one of those weirdos because there's people that will say, well, God's called me, uh, you know, and so they use it as an excuse to just have no biblical accountability and no authority whatsoever. That's wrong. Say that's wrong. So people should be able to identify the call of God on your life. You need to have people that, that can vouch for you, that can recognize what God's called you to do. But ultimately, you have to hear the word from the Lord. 
God has to be the one that calls you not a man. Because I'm going to tell you, if man sends you, then man can send you back. Whenever we got this church, I'm telling you this will revolutionize everything. When me and my wife began youth pastoring this church under a different ministry, for whatever reason, the pastor got burnt out. I don't know what was going on. But he came to me and said, we're shutting down this church. We're going to close the doors and we're going to sell the building. They're not interested in, they're not interested in this facility. Well, I want to tell you something. The Lord called me to Huntington, Texas. When I came to this church, I was in church in, in, in Lufkin, and the Lord specifically called me and said, this is not where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to be. And because I had that word from the Lord, I could look this person in the face and say, you can sell the building, but if you sell the building, we're still going to be here because the Lord called us to be here with or without you. Amen. So that's why it's so important for you to get a word from the Lord. Y'all, you kids, listen to me how important this is. You need to hear from God and what you're called to do. Stop doing what mom and dad tell you to do because everybody else will have a great idea of what your life should be. This is where you're supposed to go to college. This is the occupation that you need to go into. And I'm going to tell you parents do that because they love their kids and they, they think, you know, here's success and here's the steps to t- attaining financial success and, and being secure. You have to hear a word from the Lord. Don't go to any college. Go where God calls you to go. Don't work at just any job. Go where God calls you to go. So number one, it has to come from God and not from man. Number two, here's three keys to unlocking your calling. Number two, you need to consume the word. Consume the word. Say consume the word. I'm going to tell you all something. Everybody is looking for a word from God. I just want the Lord to speak to me. I just want the Lord to speak to me. I'm just waiting for the heavens to open up and a voice to speak from heaven and, and God to lay out everything that I'm supposed to do. But the Bible says that those who are faithful with little, even more will be given. So I'm going to just give you this principle. If you're not being faithful with the written word, you're not going to get the spoken word. Consume the word, Romans 15, 20 through 21. My ambition has always been to preach the good news, Paul said, where the name of Christ has never been heard. Rather than where a church has already been started by someone else, I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures, say in the scriptures, where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard about him will understand. Paul was quoting from the book of Isaiah right there. Are y'all following this? This is why this is so important. At one point, Paul was reading through the, the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Scrolls, right? Because they didn't have books like this. He was reading through scrolls. He was a studied man. He had trained under the, under the top theologian. And at one point he was reading, and he came across that passage in Isaiah that said those that have never have heard will hear. Those that have never have seen will see. And the Holy Ghost took that scripture and quickened it to him and gave him revelation that he was called to go and preach where no one had gone and preached. He was called to, called to go and take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Apostle Paul received his calling from the word of God. 
Y'all, and I'm telling you, watch what will happen as you begin to consume the word. The Holy Ghost will begin to grab a hold of things, and it will come alive in you. Pay attention to that. Some of you will begin to consume the word, and you'll read where Jesus went around healing the sick, and all of a sudden this written word will get a fresh breath from the Holy Ghost, and it'll come alive in you. And what just happened? A healing ministry was just birthed on the inside of you. Vision for the sick to be healed was just birthed on the inside of you. Vision for souls to be saved was just birthed on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. you got to get in the word of God. Consume the word every day. Number three, this is important, get in the anointing. If you want to unlock your calling, get in the anointing. Get where the glory of the Lord is. Get where the spirit of the Lord is. I'm going to tell you, every time that I get in revival services or anywhere where the spirit of the Lord is, shoot, I could be in somebody's living room where we're letting the spirit flow and the glory and the presence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost is there every single time God breathes fresh assignments into me. Every single time that I go to the river, I'll have a whole service where my ears are almost blocked, where I can't even hear what's being preached because the Lord's downloading vision and assignments on the inside of me. Where I'll come back and I'll say, I know I need to bring this person here. I know that we need to do this event. I know that we need to change this thing. And it's because when you get in the river, you get in the anointing, assignments come from the Lord. Look at this. Moses got the law on the mountain in the glory of God. Moses got the revelation of the law while he was in the glory of God at the top of the mountain. Peter was up on a rooftop praying in the presence of God when he got his vision and the mandate to go and preach to the first Gentile. Come on, somebody. John the Apostle, it says in the beginning of Revelation that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what happened? He got the entire revelation, which is known as the book of Revelation. Most Christians live with that mindset. Well, I don't, you know, I don't need to go to church. How many of you know? I am the church. Those people, you know, people that talk like that, they do nothing for the Lord. Nothing for the Lord. How many of you know we don't have to, we don't got, I'm telling you something. You are the temple of God, but you're not by yourself the temple of God. You are a piece, you are a stone, that when the, when the pieces are put together, the church is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That means that there is a greater anointing when we come together in obedience to the word, where the Spirit of God will move in a situation like this where he won't move when you're by yourself. Why? Because there's only a certain level that you can get to by yourself, because we're not meant to do this by ourselves. It's us together that is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So people that talk like that, I don't need to go to that meeting. Oh, Brother Aaron's coming on a Wednesday night. Oh, I'm good. I don't need to go to that. I'm telling you right now, you need to get in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You need to get your kids there. That's why we do what we do with these kids, taking them as often as we possibly can. Because I believe that. I don't believe in just trying to shove Jesus down people's throats and force them into religion. No, if we can get them in the anointing, God will speak to their hearts and he'll light their hearts on fire and they'll run with the gospel without anybody even having to tell them to do it. 
The best thing that you could do is shut down everything else and get that foundation built in your kids' lives. That is the best thing that you could do. Come on, somebody. Y'all, I'm telling you. Don't send your kid off. You know, your kid has their whole life to work. Your kid has their whole life to do other things. The Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go while they're children, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. You know, the number one priority should be getting this thing set straight in our kids. I want my kids to get the fire. I want my kids to get full of the Holy Ghost. I want my kids to go somewhere and apart from everybody else, hear something from the Lord because that is the word that will carry them strong when they're 20, when they're 30, when they're 40 years old. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I get in the anointing. I want to I write these two points down, and I'm going to close here. You need to get this. Your success in life is determined by your willingness and obedience to the voice of the Lord. Your success in life will be determined by your willingness and obedience to the voice of the Lord. Isaiah 119. If you were willing and obedient, say if. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Hallelujah. Isaiah 119, it should be on the board in the New King James. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There's two parts here. Say willing. Say obedient. So again, if, if one of those two things are out of line, then what will happen? You won't eat the good of the land. If you want to eat the good of the land, if you want to prosper, if you want to prosper in Huntington, Texas, if you want to prosper in Angelina County, if you want to prosper and multiply, you have to be willing and obedient. Come on, somebody. There's many people that are not eating the good. And why are they not eating the good? Because they're not obedient to the Lord. Y'all, can I help you here? If you're looking at your life and you're saying things are not working, I challenge you, what's the last thing God told you to do? Did you do it? Go back and revisit the last thing that God told you to do and ask yourself, did I do it? Was I obedient to do it? If you can say no, I know Brother James has a story about this. When he left Bible college, God told him, move to Huntington, Texas, get plugged into this church, and marry Hannah, Hannah Jones at the time. Well, he, he got plugged into this church. He married Hannah. But there was a season, he'll tell you, things were not going right. Things weren't going right financially. Things weren't going right with his acceleration, with his promotion, with what God was doing. And, and he went back and said, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, what's the last thing I told you to do? Those three things. And, he, and the Lord said, where do you live right now? He said, Lord, I live in Lufkin. The Lord said, I told you to move to Huntington, not to Lufkin. The second that he did, boom, 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 boom. Promotion, open doors, got the job that he had been believing for, that there was a waiting list. I mean, it's just absolutely supernatural. Come on, somebody. Say obedient. When I was in Lufkin, I was at a church, and the Lord told me, Leave. And go to the place that I've called you, led by the Spirit. We step foot on this property. 
When I came into this property, some of y'all, you may not even like our services, but I'm telling you, when I came in here, me and my wife left, and we said, we'll never go back to that place again. That was insane. <laughs> you know what the Lord told me? Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You will, too, go back. So me and my wife came back. We were faithful. We kept serving the Lord. Little did I know that a year later, this property would be turned over to me and her. How could I have known that then? Couldn't have known that. Would have never have guessed that in a million years. But guess who did know that? The Lord knew that. The Holy Ghost knew that. And it wasn't my job to know everything. It was my job to trust in the Lord and not depend on my own understanding. But simply do what he says to do, even if it doesn't make sense at all. Are y'all with me? You've got to do what God tells you to do at all costs. Hallelujah. So you have to be obedient. If you're not obedient, you'll never eat the good of the land. You'll never prosper. Always get this, too. I'm going to end with this. Write this down. The voice of the Lord always produces prosperity. It always produces prosperity. This is Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, say, Obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Here's the point. Obey the voice of the Lord. He said, if you'll obey my voice, you will be a special people set apart. In Deuteronomy 28, he said, I'll make you I'll set you high above the nations where the nations of the earth will see you or people claimed by the Lord. Hallelujah. You need to get a hold of that. The voice of the Lord is always leading you to prosperity. God's not trying to take anything away from you. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life abundantly. Say abundant life. What is God trying to lead you to? Abundant life. Kids, if the Holy Ghost is telling you, hey, that little boy that's barking up your tree is not for you, you know God's not trying to steal all your fun. God just don't want me to have fun and enjoy myself. No, he's leading you to abundant life, and he knows everything that's sent by the devil to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. So your job is to simply obey the word and obey the voice of the Holy Ghost. If God tells you to take a job, I'm going to tell you, don't just work any job. Go where the Lord tells you to go. Well, Brother John, I got this other job offer that, that now basically the Lord told me I'm supposed to be here, but now I'm going to be gone for nine months of the year and because they're offering me more money. More money's great, but you better go because the Lord told you to go, not because the money told you to go. Are you all with me? Because whatever, you, I'm telling you, what, even if you feel like you're taking the lesser thing, the Lord is setting you up for something you don't even see. Well, Lord, you're having me take a lesser position? Yeah, because in a year you may be running the whole company. Come on, God's setting you up for something greater. 
Lord, you want me to stay here? Come on, Lord, I've been to Bible college, right? In your flesh, you think this stuff. I could go, Lord, I could go get a job at another church. I'm sure there's a church that would hire me to do something and uh, associate or youth or I don't know. And, and the Lord says, no, this is exactly where I've called you to be. Little did I know a year, he turned this whole property over to us and launched this ministry. Could have never have known that. The voice of the Lord will always produce prosperity. We have to be willing. We have to be obedient. We have to heed to his voice. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. There is a covering for the person that's on assignment. I want you to just lift your hands right where you're at. Father, I ask every person that's hungry for you that you would give them fresh assignments. Even this morning, I believe that you begin to speak to people what they're called to do, where they're called to be, things that you've spoken in their life. And I hear the Lord tell me this right now. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you don't give up. Whatever God's told you to do, you don't give up. Hallelujah. Come on, say hallelujah. If God's told you to do it, I don't care if you say, John, it just doesn't seem like it's working right now. It doesn't matter. You do what the Lord's told you to do. And he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Do what I've told you to do. And if you don't give up, you'll reap a great harvest of blessing, declares the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for a fresh fire of the Holy Ghost being put in these people to run, to understand what you've called them to do, and they'll make the most of every opportunity because they're people on assignment in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise and just say hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord. Praise you, God. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.